Welcome, everybody. Happy Sunday. Happy best day of the week. So glad that you are spending part of your weekend here with us at Skyline Church Online. My name is Jeff Nicoletti. So glad you're here. Listen, if you are new here, maybe checking us out for the first time, just thank you so much for for being here online with us. In fact, there's a little button that you can click that says new here. We would love to connect with you. In fact, we have a little gift that we'd like to send you just for being here today. Parents, don't forget, uh, we've got uh, special kids online worship experiences available for you. You can just jump over to skylinechurch.cc and you can click on Sky Kids Online and get some uh, resources there. And really quickly, I want to invite you, if you haven't already done so, join one of our virtual small groups in this season. Uh, We've created ways for us to gather together throughout the week in different virtual environments. So I want to encourage you to, to sign up and connect with one of those. All right, we're going to jump right in. And this morning, can I, I've, I've just got to be honest. Sometimes I, I really miss it as a parent, like, like really blow it sometimes. If, and if, if you spend enough time around me, one of the things that you'll learn pretty quickly is that I really enjoy being on time. In fact, for me, early is on time and on time is late. And, and if you're late, you don't even bother to bother to show up. Now, I know that sounds, that sounds maybe a little bit harsh, but, but for me, I, I've learned to give myself a little bit of grace there, and I've, I've learned to understand that that's how I'm wired, and that's how I grew up, and I, I don't expect that of everybody. But if I'm not careful, I will let my schedule and my desire to stay on a schedule become primary when it's really supposed to be secondary. So here's an example. As many of you know, we, we, we have four children, and in our house, structure goes a long way, and I love structure, especially when it comes to, to bedtime. Uh, I love getting our kids to bed on time because when they get into bed, Christy and I are free. We are able to, to watch a show uninterrupted. We're able to, to maybe eat some food without having to get up and get somebody uh, another glass of milk, and so I highly value bedtime. But now that we've been home and we're not taking kids to the school bus early in the morning and we're doing homeschool and they don't have to be up as early, bedtime's gotten a little loose in our house. And so 8 p.m. kind of became 8.30 p.m. And in all reality, that's, it's, it's more like 9 p.m. And, and something happens to me right around the 8 o'clock hour. I, I don't know what happens, but I get, I get real rigid. Uh, I, I get really flustered because I, I want to get the kids in bed. And more often than, than she should have to, my wife has to remind me that if I'm not careful, I'm going to end up missing out on fun, important, valuable, memory-making moments because I'm so focused on bed. And so if I'm not careful, I, I'll allow my schedule and bedtimes and making sure that everyone gets to bed when they should and they're get, that they're getting enough sleep and that we're, we're following all the rules. And, and don't get me wrong, I think all of those things, routines and schedules are important, but, but they aren't primary. My primary job as a, as a parent isn't to keep schedules. It's not to, to keep routines and to make sure we clock in at bedtime at the right time every night. But my primary job as a parent is to invest in, to love, to help my children discover and cultivate the God-given personality and dreams that he's put inside of them. To, to help give them self-confidence, understanding that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that they're, they're fiercely loved, and that they're brave and they're strong and they're courageous and that they're going to be world changers. 
That's my job. That's my primary job. But, but if I'm not careful, I can get caught up in the routine of being a parent and the weekly and daily schedule of being a parent that I actually neglect what's most important about parenting. And there's really no better time than we are right now, like in this stay-at-home quarantine time, to help us reevaluate our priorities, seeing, seeing if, if things that have become primary were, were really supposed to be secondary. Because a lot of our normals and a lot of our routines have been upended and things have been removed. And so we actually have the ability to kind of see things for, for what they are. Here's an example. Weekly gatherings of church all at one location. Uh, there, there's, there's no getting, getting in the car, packing up the family, dropping the kids off at kids' church, which never in my life, I've never been more thankful for kids' church than I am right now, grabbing a cup of coffee, standing, singing a few songs, and sitting and listening to a message. If your current Sunday morning feels anything like my, I, I'm actually later to church now than I ever have been than we were at our building, and it's in my living room, and I still can't get there on time, and I am so thankful for every ounce of technology that allows us to be together online right now. And don't get me wrong, I cannot wait. I'm even more eager for the approaching day that's gonna, when our building is going to be open again and we're all going to be gathered together, worshiping, lifting up the name of Jesus because I believe, firmly believe, in the importance and the power of followers of Jesus getting together weekly to worship, to connect, to hear from God's word. But I want to ask us a question. And it's a question that I'm, I'm believing is going to shape not just this series that we're starting today, but honestly, I, I hope that it's going to help shape our idea of faith and our idea of church. What, what happens when you, when you can't do the thing you're used to doing? Or, or what, what if you discover the thing that defined you or your experience doesn't actually define you? What, what, what if you find out that losing that one thing actually caused you to be more focused and more intentional? Okay, I know that that was more than one question, but, but just stick with me. Uh, for, because for many of us, church and a relationship with Jesus has always included and was probably uh, centered around and defined by gathering together on Sundays to worship, to hear a message, and then go about our day. But what if there's so much more? And what I want to do in this, this movement series is we're going to let the very first church help us with this. We're, we're, we're going to let the early church, we're going to let the, the book of Acts help us transform us and give us some information. So here's what I want us to do. I, 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 want, to come, I want us to come to this with, with an open heart, open faith, open mind, and more importantly, a faith that is willing to be shifted if necessary. So we're just going to spend some time in the book of Acts together and let it shape us. Let us let us learn what it was like to be part of a movement of God's kingdom early on and, and see if that helps shape some things for us. So we're just going to start in Acts chapter 1 and we're going to jump in a little bit. Just a, a really brief, just uh, help you understand Acts if you don't know. It was written by, by, uh, by, by Luke, the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He's now writing the book of Acts. He was with Paul for most of Paul's life and his ministry and his journey. So we'll start in Acts chapter 1, and we'll just kind of pick up and go. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, so Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus. He said, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says, then they, talking about the disciples, they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And I love it because the disciples still don't understand it completely. That They are still asking Jesus about restoring an earthly kingdom because most of them were taught from an early age that the Messiah would restore an earthly kingdom for Israel. So even though they had heard him teach, they'd seen him heal, and they, they watched him go to the cross, carried him down from the cross, put his body in the tomb only to find out that death could not hold him, that the grave could not contain him, and that on, on your enemy's best day, he lost the keys, keys to the kingdom. Despite all of that, the disciples are standing here with the resurrected Christ, and they're asking him about restoring an earthly kingdom. And you know what? When I read that, it I, I gave me some hope. Because that these men could walk with Jesus for three years, witness every miracle in the flesh, put their hands in his side where he was pierced, and still not always understand. I have hope and know that it's okay that I don't always fully understand everything that's going on. And so it says that he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently up to the sky where he was going when suddenly Two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you to heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him going to heaven. Some of us have been looking in the same place day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year for Jesus. We're so fixed on where we saw him before, where we experienced him before. We have an encounter with him at church, or we have an encounter with him at some sort of worship event. And if we're not careful, we'll spend so much time trying to recreate the environment where we experienced it. And, and what we don't realize, it's not about where or when or how, but it's about who. It wasn't the environment that caused you to experience Jesus. It was Jesus who created the environment for you to stand in his presence. And so, but Jesus is constantly moving. The problem is that most of the church is standing still, still looking up. Jesus, are, are you still there? Are, are you still where I last saw you? Are, are you still in the same place where I last experienced you? And what I want to tell you today is that Jesus is always on the move. He said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows after me will not walk in darkness. Jesus is moving, but so many of us are standing still. That's why we wake up day after day after day in darkness, because Jesus has been moving, but we've just been standing still. Because for Jesus, the mission is always moving forward. The kingdom is always moving forward. There is no time to stand still. There's no time to dwell in the same place too long. That's why as the disciples are looking up, the angels say, hey, 
Why are you so focused on this? You've got other things that you've got to do. The mission is too important. The life that comes with bringing the kingdom of Jesus here is too important to be standing around, looking up, staring at the things that we've always stared at. Jesus isn't in the same place he's always been, but he's looking for people who will follow, who will listen, who can walk out obedience, who are going to be on mission, who aren't just going to stand still, who aren't going to miss out on the things that he is doing, who are intent to go kick and not down the gates of hell, scare out some evil spirits into submission, and bring some heaven down to earth. And listen, here's, here's what I can promise you. Storming the gates of hell, chasing down some demons, seeing lives restored, marriages restored, families restored, facing difficult issues like racial tension and poverty, bringing heaven down to earth, it will absolutely require movement. But somewhere along the way, we made gathering more important than going. And, and, and I want to come back to that. But, but what I, what I want to focus on today is really just kind of one, one passage here from this, from, from Acts chapter 1. We'll go back to verse 8. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And Jesus does, a, does an amazing refocus here. For his disciples. Because the, the disciples are pumped. He, he's resurrected. He spent some time with them. They're getting ready to go on mission. And they're still thinking, hey, he's going to restore some kind of earthly kingdom. And Jesus says, nope. Stay with me here. That's not what I'm doing. In fact, really what you need to do is you need to go back to verse 7. Because Jesus looks at them and says, hey. Because remember, they asked, hey, are you, is it time for you to restore the kingdom? And then in verse, verse 7, Jesus says, hey, it's not, it's not for you to know the time and the dates and everything. Listen, it's not, listen to me, it's not for you to know everything that God has in mind. It's not for you to have all the knowledge, but here is what you do need. It's not knowledge that you need, it's the Holy Spirit that you need. I, I don't need you to know everything, I don't need you to have all the answers, I don't need you to know all the secrets, but what I do need you to have and what you need for your life is to be filled with the Holy Holy Spirit, stop being so concerned about having all the answers. Stop being so concerned with getting that next degree. The things in, there are things in your life that you will never be able to accomplish with more knowledge, but will only be able to, 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 to do by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why I say all the time, especially when it comes to church and to leadership in the church, I will take heart and spirit over skill every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Because you can be taught almost anything, but it's your spirit and your heart that's going to set you apart. Listen, some of you today, under the sound of my voice, you have been stuck. You have been trapped. You have been wrapped up. You've been in bondage. You've been in chains. You've been in addiction. And more and more knowledge has not helped you break it. And what I came to tell you today, what you need in your life is the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God running through you. Because Scripture says that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit is, is, there is freedom. So I came to declare freedom over somebody today, freedom from depression, freedom from addiction, freedom from anxiety, freedom from brokenness, freedom from loneliness, freedom from what your mother told you, freedom from whatever your father didn't give you, freedom from what they said you'll never be able to do. Come on, there's freedom available to you. Jesus said you don't need to know everything, but what you do need is the Holy Spirit because in him there is power that you cannot find anywhere else. And once you have experienced that power, then you're ready. 
and you'll never be able to step into your calling. You'll never be able to step into your purpose, your God-given, divine, eternity-changing purpose without first being filled with the Spirit. And if, if some of you right now want to switch this off because you're like, you're like, Pastor, this is a little too much. Jesus is good, but you're getting into the Holy Spirit. This is a little bit scary. I didn't grow up that way, and I get that. And yes, we are talking Holy Spirit stuff because, look, if you want to, you can get ahead of where we are, and you can go ahead and start reading the book of Acts and going through it. And what you're going to find in the book of Acts over and over and over again is you're going to see the apostles going places, laying their hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit, and then them being empowered because the reality is, is you need the Holy Spirit. He moves, he speaks, he empowers, he equips, he enables, and he will supernaturally give you strength that you didn't believe you could have. And so now Jesus says, hey, once you have been filled, once you've received power that is not from yourself, you're ready. You're ready. Well, ready for what? You're, you're ready to go. And so the disciples have all gathered in Jerusalem. That's, that's where they are. And so Jesus says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, right, right where you are. And then, and then you're going to go to Judea. And then from there, you're going to go to Samaria, the place where, where there have been racial tensions for more than 700 years, people that you were told to not associate with, people that you were told to despise. I want you to go there and be my witnesses, and then you're going to keep on going. You're going to go past that, and you're going to go out into the whole world because the mission doesn't stop. The mission doesn't stand still. There's always movement that is happening. Jesus didn't command his disciples to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then continue to gather with each other week after week after after week because Jesus' primary calling isn't to gather, it's to go. And somewhere along the way, gathering became more important than going. And it's not that gathering isn't important. Listen to me, I, I believe that gathering is, is vitally important, but, but it cannot be more important than going. Here's an example, Matthew chapter 16 Verse 18, Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. He's getting, ready, he's getting ready to give Peter a little bit of insight as to what the church is going to be like. He says, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. And first, it's important to understand that the church is not ours. Jesus said he would build his church. It doesn't belong to us. It's his. You think that you're passionate about the church? Jesus is immensely more passionate about it. He gave his life for it. He called it his bride. So if anybody cares about the church, it's Jesus. And then he said the gates of hell will not overcome it. You've probably heard me talk about this before, but gates are the entry point of a city or of a territory that's been occupied, which means that Jesus is telling Peter and us, hey, if the church is going to go storm the gates of hell, it's going to require some movement. There is no knocking down the gates of hell. There's no entering places of oppression. There's no breaking down strongholds. There's no going places that other people won't go without going. And so, listen, we need to gather. We, and we will continue to gather. Scripture encourages us not to forsake gathering in the book of Hebrews. But listen, our gathering had better produce some going. And if we gather together just so that we can gather together again, we missed it. It's like, it's like, and you may not even be familiar with football all that much, but I, I think this will probably still make sense to you. Imagine a football huddle. 
Right, so, so what, what, what's the entire point of that? The point is to, to bring together, in, in this specific instance, 11 people, all with a, a different particular set of skills, gifting, background, education, years of experience, jobs, roles, responsibilities, and get them all on the same page, running the same play at the same time with the objective of moving forward. So imagine a team. Imagine your, your, your football team huddling together, discussing the play, the plan, the strategy for moving things forward. And listen, if you don't think there needs to be a strategy for moving the kingdom of Jesus forward and you just like things to be unorganized and organic and really no planning, listen, I'm sorry, but the enemy that is fighting against you is organized and he knows how to line things up. He knows how to set traps. He knows how to organize. He knows how to mobilize. He knows how to leverage every advantage he can have. So yes, the church, God's people better be strategic and organize and mobilize and be prepared. That's why Jesus said when he sent out his disciples, he said, yes, be innocent as doves, but also be wise as snakes. Listen, you got to have some strategy. You got to be creative. You, you've got to be thoughtful. You, you better be prepared. So imagine your team coming together in the huddle and they're gathering and they're, they're discussing the play and then they just stay in their huddle and they run the play together just for themselves. Or imagine your team huddled together and they gathered and they talked and they talked some more and they made some plans and they talked some more and they just stayed huddled together while the play clock hit zero. And so they never did anything just so that they could gather again. Neither of those would make sense. The point is to gather everyone together, to get on the same page, to get fired up, to get focused, to get an assignment, to go execute the plan. Listen, we've got to break out of our gathering in order to move forward. Gathering together must produce going. If our gathering isn't equipping or empowering us, then what are we gathering for? Yes, we should gather every week and I cannot wait until we're able to gather together again. And when we gather, when we huddle, it should be an opportunity every single week to align my priorities and my focus to have my soul refreshed and revived. That's what happens when you worship Jesus together with other people. When you lift your voice, you lift your hands, you open your heart to Jesus, you're declaring that whatever may be going on in my life, Jesus, you are still King. Jesus, you are still on the throne. Jesus, you are still Lord. And when we gather and we sit under the teaching of his word and we plan and we strategize, we get the play and the mission and the plan to go. And we take the gospel everywhere we go. Then we get the strength to run and go kick down the gates of hell that the enemy has set up in our city for too long. The enemy has camped out and set up gates and territory that does not belong to him. And it's time for Jesus' church to stand up and not be focused on gathering, but to be focused on going. And if we keep coming to a gathering, if we keep coming to a gathering, if we keep coming to a huddle, week after week and we aren't empowered or emboldened to go listen to me 
then either something is wrong with the huddle or something's wrong with us. If, go back to the example. If, if somebody or multiple people kept going to the huddle each and every time, listening, gathering, getting instructions, and then the huddle breaks, and they go, and they don't know where to go, and they don't know what their role is, and they don't know what their assignment is, and they don't know where to be, you'd start looking at them and say, hey, wait a minute, something's either wrong with the huddle, or that person just doesn't get it. What I think has happened is that many of us have developed a gathering faith. The problem is, is that we don't have a gathering faith, we have a going faith. One of the very last things Jesus said to his disciples in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Many of us will know it. It's, it's called the Great Commission. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm gonna be with you always to the end of the age listen going is is more than just a physical location it's a posture it's having a posture of going because you're right some of you are thinking pastor this is it's not the first century the churches are pretty much everywhere in the world. Where, where else do you want me to go? Like, it, it, it's all over the place. What, what are you talking about? So here's what I mean. It means having a posture of knowing that the most important part of me living out my faith does not happen for 75 minutes on a Sunday. The most important part of my obedience, of my faithfulness, of my following Jesus happens Monday through Saturday at my job, with my kids, with my spouse, with my friends, with my coworkers. You know, some, something struck me in a way that it never had a couple of weeks ago. And it's a, it's a passage that I've read before countless times. But when I read it in this season, when, when all of our norms have been taken away, when one of the things that I love and have value, gathering together with all of you on a Sunday, when that had been removed, it, it's like I had new lenses to see through it. So before I read it, I wanna tell you something I realized is that when gathering becomes more important than going, the house becomes more important than the mission. Okay, wherever you are right now, I want you to stand to your feet. So this, this passage is from 2 Samuel. King David has just been through a period of, of war and fighting, and he's gone out with his army, and now it's peacetime. He gets to rest. And here's where 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It says, After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said, David said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. David's like, hey, wait a minute. Look at me. Look at my nice house. Look at my stuff. Look at what I got. Look at how beautiful of a place I'm living. In God's house, the ark, his presence is living in a tent. 
That doesn't make sense. And so then Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. And of course, Nathan the prophet responds this way. Why wouldn't he? Here's David saying, King David, saying he wants to do something. He wants to do an amazing thing for God. He's saying, I got all this stuff. Look at my house. Look at everything. Look at my security. Look at everything that I've got. And listen, cedar was an expensive wood. It was the nice stuff. David's living in a bougie house. And so he's looking at it going, hey, wait a minute. It's reasonable for the prophet Nathan to look at David and say, yeah, do that. Here's the problem. Of course it makes sense from human judgment. But not everything that makes sense according to human judgment is good. Just because it makes sense doesn't mean we should move forward with it. Because the very next verse, remember Nathan just said, hey, sounds good. Whatever's in your heart, you should do it. And then it says, but. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to one of my rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built a house for me? God says, hey, wait a minute. I never asked you to build me a home. I never asked you to build me something. Never in all the years that Israel was living in the promised land. Now it's not exact, but most experts would agree on a time that from from when Israel entered the promised land to when David becomes king is somewhere around 400 years. So never in those 400 years did God ever ask his people, hey, build me a house. Build me a place to dwell. Could it be? Could it be that God never wanted to have a house built because he was always focused on the mission and not on the house? He wanted to be on the move. He wanted his people to be ready to move at a moment's notice, designed to be nimble and quick and agile, designed to be centered around going with gathering together as a support. And so we get to the New Testament. In the book, later in the book of Acts, chapter 17, I'm gonna give you a little sneak peek of something that we'll get to later on in this series. But Paul is speaking to a group of people in Athens. And this is what he says, just a little part of Acts chapter 17. He said, the God who made the world And everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and their boundaries of their lands. God did this, listen, so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, 
though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have written. We are his offspring. Listen to me. The place Jesus is most concerned about dwelling is in you. You are his temple. You are his dwelling place. His desire is to reside in you, in your life, in your spirit, in your heart. He's not too concerned about where we gather together to worship as he is to whether or not we've opened our lives and our hearts for him to dwell inside of us. So listen, it's not about the gathering. It's about whether or not he's dwelling inside of you. In Revelation, Jesus said, listen, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he said, if you will open the door, I will enter in. So come on, I know there's some of you today, you've been wondering, is Jesus dwelling inside of me? I want to give you an opportunity this morning to, hey, I want to give you an opportunity to let Jesus dwell in you. Because he's not so concerned about where we gather. He's concerned about whether we're going. Jesus isn't as concerned about the house as he is the mission. And the place that Jesus is most concerned about dwelling in you not religion the relationship so here's what I want to do right now every head bowed every heart open and maybe in this moment as we honor this moment maybe you feel something inside of you just, just inching you closer to Jesus calling you home listen to me you, you are never more than a prayer away a life-giving, eternal relationship with Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity for that now. Because maybe you've been around church. You've been around the house. You've been around the gathering. But you've never opened up your heart in your life. Have Jesus dwell with you. So here's what I want to do. I want everyone to repeat this prayer. For the, for the benefit of everyone who's going to pray this prayer, I want everyone to just repeat it. And listen, if you say this with belief in your heart, here's the promise of Scripture. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Scripture says that you'll be saved. So every head bowed, every heart open, I want to give us an opportunity to pray that today. Repeat this after me. Jesus, today I ask you to dwell in me. I know it's not about the house. I know it's not about where I gather. And I know now that you've called me to be your temple. You've called me to be the place where you dwell. You've, you've called me to open my heart, to open my life, to a fresh relationship with you. And today, I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that you are who you say you are, that you were crucified, you were buried, 
but you were resurrected on the third day. And because of what you did on the cross, I have everlasting life. And I step into fresh life and a new start today. Come on, church, wherever you are right now, if you prayed that prayer in faith, you're a new creation. You've got new life. Come on, let's celebrate with everybody in every home stepping into new life today in Jesus' name. Come on, lift your voices, lift your hands, lift up the name of Jesus for giving us new life here today. Jesus, you are worthy. Thank you. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, you want to come back to faith in Jesus. Hey, I, I want him to dwell in me. Listen, the worst thing you could do would be to be inspired to make change and then not take a step forward in action. So right now there's a little button you can click to say, that's me. I, I stepped into a relationship with Jesus today. I'm restarting a relationship with Jesus. Listen, just click that button so that we can connect with you, pray with you. We'd love to partner with you in this faith journey as you discover what it is to follow Jesus. We'd love to partner with you in that. Amen. Listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to end our time together today the way that we always do, with an opportunity to give our tithes and our offerings. Now listen, if you're new with us today, thank you again for being here, spending part of your Sunday with us. And listen, we don't want anything from you. In fact, we just hope that this worship experience has been our gift to you. But if you call Skyline Church your home, all we ever ask is that you ask Jesus what you should give and then just be obedient. Because we know that on the other side of obedience, there's blessing for you and for your family. And there's two real easy ways that you can give. You can give online through our, or through our app. You can also give right from your smartphone. You can text the amount you want to give to 84321 and then just follow some of the prompts from there. Now remember, church, I want to remind you, in this season, continue to be faithful, consistent, and generous. Because when you are... The church is able to be faithful, consistent, and generous with our city. We've got our food truck buyouts. Listen, we fed around 900 people in this season at our food truck buyouts, and that's all because of your faithful, consistent, and generous giving. Remember, when you give, you're giving to vision. You're giving to moving the kingdom. You're giving to bringing life. You're giving to meeting a need. So come on, church, wherever you are in this season, let's continue. Let's be faithful. Let's be generous so that God's house, God's people don't just gather, but we get to go. We get to go meet needs. We get to go bless people. We get to go make a difference. We get to go make an impact. We get to go take down and kick down some gates of hell and take back some territory in this season as a church. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you for spending some time with us online today. Listen, if you need anything, 
connect with, you can direct message us on social media. You can email us, reach out to us. If you have a need, don't ever hesitate to reach out. We are here for you, especially in this season as we walk through this together. Here's what I want to do. I want to end the same way we always do. I want to bless you this morning. So wherever you are, I encourage you right now, just, just put your hand up and receive this today. Jesus, I just pray that your very presence would go before us, would surround us, you fill us with your spirit, that Heavenly Father, you would cause your good face to shine upon us and give us rest and give us peace until we gather together again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, we love you. We love spending time with you. We'll see you again next Sunday, 9.15 and 11 a.m. Have a great week. We love you.